Today's podcast is brought to you by The Power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more at thepowerofa.org. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. President Obama hosts the fourth and final nuclear summit of his presidency today and tomorrow in Washington, a gathering of dozens of world leaders that's aimed at getting voluntary pledges to secure nuclear materials and guard nuclear plants. Past gatherings have resulted in the withdrawal or destruction of enough nuclear material to build more than 150 warheads. But world events may shift the focus to other global security matters. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ foreign policy reporter Rachel Oswald. Now, Rachel, what do we know about what new nuclear security commitments may arise from this two-day gathering? We don't know many specifics. Um, We know from uh, White House officials that we're going to get 17 new commitments. These will likely be multilateral commitments, so-called gift baskets, which are voluntary pledges that a country or several countries can make together, um, and they can cover a whole range of nuclear security issues. Now, we know that Russia is not going to be here. It's evidence of uh, the tension between the U.S. and Russia over its involvement in Ukraine. Is their absence uh, a game-breaker, or um, what are we to make of that? Well, it's not a game-breaker, and certainly the, the Obama administration has been trying to uh, downplay um, the uh, ramifications for Russia's non-attendance. But advocates point out that Russia and the United States holds the vast majority of nuclear material. And if you're going to get any new landmark nuclear security agreements made, you can't get them without Russia. And you can't specifically get them without Vladimir Putin's agreeing to them. So his absence from the summit means we won't really see any groundbreaking developments. Also absent from the gathering is Iran, but there will be a meeting of the Western nations that negotiate a nuclear pact with Tehran. In the lead-up to the nuclear security summit, there had been some speculation after the Iran nuclear deal was concluded that Iran might be invited to this final summit. But that didn't come to pass. Uh, Ultimately, I think Iran is still too controversial a country. And there were concerns that if Iran were part of the summit process, that it might cause other countries like Saudi Arabia and Israel to raise some kind of protest. And also just the whole controversiality of Iran's nuclear program might override the general nuclear security discussion. Uh, You note that the Obama administration has steadily reduced funding for the Energy Department's international nuclear security programs, and that uh, causes some concern for activists. Uh, What's their justification for this? Well, the Obama administration argues that a lot of this money originated in the need to secure the vulnerable nuclear material left over from the Soviet Union. Uh, The Nunn-Luger program famously secured and dismantled a number of nuclear weapons and missiles. And so there's a natural drawing down of funding now that that work has ended. Additionally, now that Russia has broken off the vast majority of bilateral nuclear security cooperation with the United States, money that had been planned to finish up that work is left over or is no longer needed so long as Russia refuses to cooperate. 
Now, whenever you get this many world leaders in one place, uh, global events can sometimes shift the focus, in this case, to non-nuclear things, ISIS, uh, tensions on the Korean Peninsula, Middle East refugees. Are you expecting things to veer off in different directions? I mean, it's certainly a possibility, um, particularly given the very technical and specific nature of nuclear security work. It's an area that's not widely understood outside of a small community of professionals, and journalists and other people watching the event event may grab onto something else that draws attention. For example, an off offhand remark by President Obama when he was mic'd up about Russia at the summit a couple of years ago ended up capturing a lot of press. We've also seen a lot of attention given about whether there will be any one-on-one um, -on -one meeting between President Obama and the leader of Turkey. And we do know that the leaders of South Korea, Japan, and the United States will be meeting to discuss North Korea and nonproliferation issues on the peninsula. Reports that one of the terror suspects in the Brussels, Belgium attacks uh, had an, an atomic energy official under surveillance uh, has put a focus on securing nuclear plants and also radiological materials. Is, is this expected to come up in the discussions? Oh, I think very much so. It should um, serve to remind uh, participants about why this is all happening. It's because of a threat of nuclear terrorism. This is why the summits were convened in the first place. And it's a reminder that there is a lot more work to be done. Despite the progress of the summits, there is still many of these commitments have been voluntary. They're not binding. It's up to the political will of the individual countries to implement them so that you see a developed country like Belgium suddenly reassessing whether its nuclear plants are vulnerable is a reminder to much of the developed world that this isn't something to just take for granted. What else may be left? unresolved after this week's summit ends, and does Congress have a meaningful role in any of that? Well, we've heard activists say that they would very much like to see the process after this focus on how militaries protect nuclear material. The vast majority of nuclear material that could be used in a warhead is possessed by militaries, not civilian sector. And that the process hasn't touched on it makes many people think that this is something that's left unaddressed, particularly when you have uh, countries in the developing world, such as Pakistan and India, where there's so much that's unknown about how they protect their, the militaries protect their nuclear material. The role that Congress plays in all of this is we shouldn't forget that it was Congress that got the ball rolling on the non-Luger Cooperative Threat Reduction Program. That wasn't something that the first uh, George Bush really was focusing on. This was Congress that saw a threat here and that Congress had appropriated the money and that exercised oversight over the ensuing years to make sure that progress continued. So this isn't something that Congress in the past has waited for a presidential direction to get going on. If Congress wanted to, and certainly activists are hoping that Congress will, to continue to appropriate more money for nuclear security projects in, in the developing world, Congress could do that. CQ foreign policy reporter Rachel Oswald on the big nuclear summit in Washington this week. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Today's podcast was brought to you by The Power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more at thepowerofa.org.